Hi, I'm Alexander Wolf from 17 Academy and today I have a nice conversation with a friend of mine, Karl Verboten, who managed, coming from Saxony, Germany, to build up the largest fetish community in London, Club Verboten, which is like an outstanding achievement because first the British accepted a German name out of outside of Volkswagen and in the dangerous, difficult field of fetish sex, sex positive parties, he managed to to navigate around all cliffs so far and build up a large community of followers. And this is the wisdom that he's going to share today. He's going to show you how he did it and how quantity is not deciding if you want to build up a great network, but quality and personal relationships. And how he did it, he's going to tell us. Hi, Khan. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Before we dive into the topic of how to build the network, um, first, what sustainable development goal are you fighting for? Equality, you could say. Okay, yeah. so we're number five. Yeah, gender equality, definitely. Um, although there may be others who don't see it that way. Uh, we just talked about that story, that one story that was like the the proof of concept that you did it right. You had a major crisis recently. You were attacked by a major, major player in London, but you didn't only survive, you became stronger because your community supported you because everybody has personal relationships to you. Can you share that story with us? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, you know, like so many other businesses where we were hit, uh, hit really, really hard by the pandemic, um, mm. We didn't receive any uh, funding the, or of, the, of any of the programs the government has provided. And uh, in the second instance of an application for the Arts Council in England, we were successful and we got uh, awarded a grant that helped us to get through this time. And uh, although we we're really happy with it, you know, for a fetish club to be considered of cultural value, <laughs> um, you know we're, you're fighting for for gender equality right <laughs> yeah yeah so you know there, there was very little time to celebrate though because um immediately um i think it was the scottish sun tabloid jumped onto the bandwagon and came out with a massive bold headline of taxpayer money been giving to sex club and they threw like all the big sort of headlines at it from uh is this a place where women get flocked and you know we just sat here and looked at each other Really? Haven't seen that. <laughs> How did they know? <laughs> um, and since it was so hilarious, we, you know, there was no other way of dealing with it than engage with it. With, you know, total piss take and just take the headline, own it, print it on a t-shirt, and sell it and donate the money to a charity. You know that that combats um, those cheesy tabloids. And the whole thing kind of got a bit out of control because seven other tabloids. Um, picked up on the story and it was slandered all across back and forth and it got so much momentum. So now you're, you're famous for the guy who, who has the club where women are being flocked or what? Exactly. <laughs> God, God, worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, right? Like, because anyone that ever attended the club would tell you quite the opposite, right? Um, there, there, there is no such heavy imbalance and they would like to portray it or see it or how they imagine it 
it's quite the opposite, actually. You are probably the, the most safe place for women and the most open place for anybody who wants to live his or her sexuality in, in freedom and without being harassed or attacked or whatever. So uh, if anyone is flocked there, then probably on, on his or her own will, I guess. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> so how did your community react when all of a sudden, you know, this shitstorm swept over you? <laughs> we we went in party mode. <laughs> was, you know, I don't know how many of those T-shirts we sold, but we we couldn't keep up printing. Um, it was really funny. Anytime we went to the print shop, you know, like oh, the guy's coming again, printing up those shirts. You know, um, it, it was it was so funny. Um, I mean, people people really really um, um, loved how, how how we embraced it and just stood by it mm. and you know didn't didn't let them take our mission away from us and everyone really got on the party wagon in that sense and supported it and you know we were able to donate some money to and to stop funding hate campaign which we're really happy about it so i was thinking asked up until today about this show <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's been months back it's really good Well, well, it's a great shirt. Uh, even I, I got to. Thanks for sending them over. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, but this kind of catastrophe, you know, being attacked by major media normally could kill a movement like yours, a, a community like yours. And I think one of the main reasons you you survived it and became stronger through it is that most of your members know you personally. You know, they're handpicked, as you could say. That's probably the secret of your success, right? Could you just explain how you do your, your process? If I want to attend a Club Verboten party, how, how does it go? So <clears throat> we, are, we have a membership-based system um, that is there to extra safeguard our community. So if one wanted to attend the club, you have to submit an, either there's two options, either you submit an online application form where we're asking you to provide a link to your social media and respond to a couple of questions. And they may entail things like describing the word consent in your own words um, or, to, or describing a space in which you could feel safer, for example, in your own words. Um, or the other option is to come to one of our social events and be vetted in in person and vetting in that sense means that we put a few hundred people in a room. Um, they don't know who's who, what is, who's doing what. And, um, they're all kind of eager. They have loads of conversation. There's nice conversations in an evening because they never know when they would talk to, uh, someone of our staff or another member that would just try to feel them out. You know? And <clears throat> with that, we screened about 10,000 people. Um, Well, with a very small team, and what ten thousand in in which period? In five years. Okay, five years. that's a lot. Yeah, it's went quick, <laughs> but subconsciously, like we <clears throat> we 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 didn't aim for it, but we got to know so many people, you know, mm. and we and not just we got to know them, we connected those people with each other through those events, and you know, suddenly it all became like a kind of a bit big family in a way, um, in which everyone, you know, equally shared those values and ethos and e was equally interested in looking out for each other and keeping this little thing they just, you know, been admitted to, um, 
life and safe. Mm -hmm. But which, I mean, this is strange. Uh, normally you would start building a community by having a, an Instagram, Facebook or whatever group collecting people online to grow big enough, then invite them to a party and then perhaps at the door, you know, decide who comes in and who doesn't come in. Instead, you started an analog offline party series next to your own party series. <laughs> like the, the, to check the people, like some casting show. <laughs> so by the way, how are the, these events called, these casting events? <laughs> They're called Tears for Beers. <laughs> Tears for Beers. It's a, it's a great name. It's a real great name. So isn't that effort, I mean, destroying the, the commercial concept, you're a small team and to organize that and to, you know, select the people, that's such a high effort. Why did you do that? Didn't that destroy the whole thing? No, I mean, we, <laughs> we, we never expected this to happen, right? Like we, we thought we, we wanted a touch point, right? A point after after a glorious night to sit on a Wednesday over a drink and meet a handful of five strangers at a bar and have a chat, you know, with someone you never met before, right? But a few hundred people rocked up and we had a queue that lasted for hours outside that place. And then from there, we sort of had to manage, right? And it was in the beginning, yeah, it was, it was a bit of extra work and a bit of a mammoth job and so many new touch points and conversations. But somehow it became this perpetuum mobile, right? It, it just... It just helped itself to to function and, and, and continue, and it does until today. You know, it's it's in, um, attracting hundreds of people every Wednesday again, um, and uh, I can't really explain it. But for some weird reason, right, when you just as lone individual in this big urban environment and you about to commit to perhaps a, a new landscape like a fetish club. Um, this kind of personal approach of, hey, I can just go there and chat to someone, right? And not be the outsider anymore. I can just walk through the door and feel part of a community of suddenly like, hey, they're all a bit weird in the outside world, but in here, they're all, they're all the same, right? So um, I think it's, it's quite a nice thing to have in such a big city. So what could we take out for other projects that are listening now at this moment? Not everybody wants to uh, establish a fetish community. So what can we learn from you? First, the online process. So you don't take in everybody, but you, you force the people to tell you what their value system is in the end, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Would, would you recommend this to others who want to grow a network? Absolutely. Take them along on all the ups and downs, um, you know, make them, make them aware of your mission. Do this in the utmost respect you, you can present, you know, and be as human as you can and all those, those steps also when shit goes really wrong. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. That's really important. Um, <clears throat> because then people transmit that message for you. you know? People, um, inherit that and feel part as, as them feeling part of something they will continue to pass this message on. Mm -hmm. And and that was really interesting. When mm -hmm. that took place, it was, it was really interesting to see for us. So most people are afraid that they uh, limit themselves and cannot grow the community big enough because they keep some, some people outside. Um, how, how many of these 10,000 did you keep outside? Did you neglect? To how many people did you say no? <laughs> Quite a lot. <laughs> I think it was 3,000 on top of the 10. Okay. 
But with with doing the selection process, also if you do this online, you know, of course you're going to lose a lot of people by doing this. But the people you let through the filter are going to fight for you. They feel part of the community because, you know, you checked them and they had to do the effort and you they saw that you took the effort and that they're going to be stronger allies in the end, right? So this can be transported to other NGO network buildings. Now, if what would you recommend like the one, two, three, four, five step manual to build up an urban network of weird people? <laughs> Be genuine. Don't have a second agenda. You know, be yourself. Um, take them along on the um, on the all the ups and downs, and then you just have to have a little bit of patience and endurance. Right? <laughs> you know, unfortunately, there's there's no magic trick to it. Like whatever it is, it it will take a little bit of time. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, How long did it take to build up Club Verboten? Approximately five five years. Five years. Yes. But I have to say, you know, I mean, we've been going five years, but I think after the third year, we had this feeling of, yeah, there, there is a community, right? There's, there's more to this than, you know, just running a club and so on. And uh, people are heavily invested, you know, they're emotionally invested. They would support our crowdfunder campaign. Um, they would help to defend us um, when uh, we would deal with uh, licensing authorities and so on. So that was really the point where we'd say, okay, wow, there's more to it, you know. There's something here that is important to people. Mm-hmm. Um, science says that uh, to build a relationship of any kind between humans needs approximately two years. So to build a community, yes, two to three years is just the normal average speed. It doesn't go faster. If you have a community that builds faster, then this is a loose community. That's, that's like an Instagram group. It grows fast, but it dies fast also. So if you really want to have allies and not only followers, then plan in two to three years to build that up. So That's interesting. I'm sorry to say that, but you're just average, Carl. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> so, um, so what is the, ho- the hope for you for the future to develop Club Verboten into? What, what is it going to be in five or ten years? <clears throat> Giving power away. Like that's, that's where it goes from here. You know, there's obviously on a, on a creative element, there's this big question. What, what do spaces like ours become, right? In yeah. urban environments, mm-hmm. where do we fit in in the high street between, you know, a few thousand, uh, prats? For anyone doesn't know that it's like a British takeaway that says triangular shaped sandwiches and, um, a top shop. Um, that's obviously the creative question, but. The mission is giving power away. And it was always in our agenda. You know, we, we just founded um, a row of 12 board members mm-hmm. that from here are going to have a larger say in what we do. Um, and that is just the first step or you know, one of the few early steps of us stepping away and saying, look, this is bigger than we could lead this. And we need a larger chunk of diversity having a larger say here. Um, so while we are exploring creatively, we're making sure that... Um, We, this community is being kept alive by their members, not by us. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a great conclusion of the whole thing. Um, so to conclude this, I try that now, is if you want to build up a community that stands behind you when things get rough, 
uh, put a lot of effort in the beginning of the relationship, select your members wisely, challenge your members, ask them if they fit into your value system. If not, be bold enough to just keep them out and just kick people out if they don't fit. But if you put all that effort into your membership system, then in the end, you're going to have a lot of allies. Most or many NGOs make the mistake to put all the work into the field work, into the mission itself, and neglect the network itself. That makes you fight alone. Uh, take an example of Karl Verboten. Don't fight alone. Take the effort, select the people wisely, and have a great group of allies. And don't be afraid to give away power, right? So, Karl, what's your, what's your message to the people? The last historical words before he closed this. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't give up and make sure you have fun doing it. <laughs> well, those are nice words. And if you ever come to London, uh, check out Club Verboten. They're having great parties. And even if you're not into that scene, meet Karl Verboten. He's worth to talk to. He's the best Londoner I know. Karl, <laughs> thanks a lot for the talk. Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs>